Broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Thank you for joining us for Kick Set. I'm your host for today, Dan McCarthy. Our guest is the CEO of USA Swimming, Tim Hinchy. Tim recently celebrated his one-year anniversary at the helm of USA Swimming. Tim is a former collegiate swimmer and also in training for an open water event as well. For the past 25 years, Tim has worked at the executive level of the NBA, the Premier League, and Major League Soccer, coming to USA Swimming from the Colorado Rapids. Tim and I are going to take some time to talk about his experiences in professional sports, being a fan, and how he sees USA Swimming fitting into the sports world for our athletes, coaches, and fans. Welcome, Tim. Hey, great to be here. All right. Is it fair to say that you're a lifetime sports fan? Without question. Uh, my dad and I, uh, I have one sister, but my dad was a sports fan. He was a good athlete. So I, I can tell you that I played just about everything I could. And again, coming back, not to date myself, uh, but at that point, video games were not a phenomenon. The internet was not a phenomenon. So again, much like a lot of us of my generation, we were outside all the time doing something, playing sports and engaging in sports. It would be hard to imagine somebody being so involved in sports as a professional, not having a love for it at an early age. Without question. It's a passion. It's, this is a passion play. You know, I have so many people over my lifetime that are like, how did you get in sports? Gosh, what a dream. How great it is. You were never out of it. No, no. But what I also tell them that those that want to be part of it is if, hey, if you're ready to make less money and work more hours, welcome to professional sports because that's how it starts. And so it is a passion play. So you want to work in sports. You want to work in sports? Get ready. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're a native of Northern California? Uh, I was born in San Diego. I lived in San Diego, California until I was about eight years old. My dad worked with uh, Pacific Bell, Pacific Telephone, and he was transferred to, the, to San Francisco. So I spent really my formative years, 8 to 18, in Danville, California. All right. So 49ers or Raiders? 49ers. Giants or A's? Uh, Giants. Golden State? No. No? No. In fact, the NBA was not a big thing for me as a, as a youth. So ironically, I've worked for several NBA teams. And the first team that gave me a job was the Sacramento Kings, so I support the Sacramento You're Kings. You're a Kings fan. Absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, we've had some good days. I was there. I was very, very fortunate. I was there, obviously, in the early 2000s when we were winning 50-plus games a yeah. year, and we made it to the Eastern Conference, uh, Western Conference Finals and should have a ring. And if you read the book about the ref that cheated, the Lakers. he called our game against the Lakers. So I feel like the NBA owes me a ring. <laughs> All right. Um, soccer when you look over where you've been and what you've done, has played a huge part of your professional career. You and I are, are close to the same age. I know growing up, I didn't have a chance to play soccer. It didn't exist as a youth sport. Did you? I did. I played in the Mustang Soccer League, uh, which I think the most famous player might be Chris Wondolowski, who just scored his, he's leading the MLS in history of goal scored. Okay. So two, he's the other Mustang soccer player that's uh, out there. But no, I played in little. I think I got cut from the varsity high school team a junior year, uh, but I played every year before that, enjoyed it. Uh, I was okay, it wasn't great, but uh, I played uh, wing and forward, and uh, I think my under 14 year uh, scored in about seven to 10 games. So it was, it was a great sport for me, I loved it, so I paid attention to it. All right. We are recording this here at the, uh, the Nationals, the Pack Selection Meet in Irvine, California, which you mentioned to the staff is home to your collegiate years. It is. In fact, this pool, uh, we used to call it Heritage Park. It's now the Woolett Center and the home of the Irvine Novas. 
UC Irvine had a small six-lane L-shaped pool on campus, so in the mornings we'd actually train here and share the pool with Nova. Okay. Uh, and so if you're uh, looking from kind of the north part of this pool or the starting blocks, the third black line short course was my lane. Mm. I spent countless hours there. Uh, when I was a distance swimmer, Mike O'Brien made me do a 3,000 for time every other Monday in that lane. Uh, I had a couple of quarters to finish up, so I became a graduate assistant coach and coached the distance group uh, here at, at Irvine Nova and at UC Irvine. And then Dave Salo hired me uh, right after I graduated to be the head master's coach while I was also an ocean lifeguard at Huntington Beach. Okay. Uh, over the dozen years that I've been coming here, Irvine has changed drastically. So for you, the changes here have to be even more significant. They, they are. When I was here, there, were, there weren't two 50 meters pool. There was the diving well, which was 33 meters and had the major platform towers and a lot of water polo there. And we'd, we'd have masters there in short course quite a bit. So the new 50 meter, the, the new office space, uh, it just looks amazing. It's, it's incredible. And to think, I was with Dave Salo this morning, and just to think about the other dreams they have going on in Irvine, it's fantastic to have a community in a city love aquatic sport and especially swimming. But I think Nova is clearly one of the special clubs around our country and, and credit to those. And obviously Kim Hosry, who runs this uh, facility, is, is top class. So it's, it's great to be back and see what they've been doing. All right. Uh, personally, just kind of checking a box here. You're married, six kids. Six children, uh, one wife, uh, same <laughs> wife, uh, which is great. Very lucky, Good Mia. And then I have uh, daughters, Alex, 31, Madison, 21, who's at the Kelly School in Indiana. Uh, Gabby, who's helping me work this meet, uh, is 17. Uh, then I have three sons, Aiden and Brennan, are identical boys, just turned 13 and starting to swim. And my youngest son is Connor, age 11. He's also starting to swim. In fact, this week, they're in a junior lifeguard camp all week in Newport Beach. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so two big influences in your professional career, the NBA and professional soccer, English Football League, Major League Soccer. Is that a correct, a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's spot on. I think NBA in particular, uh, again, and even though I wasn't a major fan growing up, I think if you're a professional sports executive, especially on the commercial side of the business, or call it the sales and marketing mm -hmm. side, communications, I don't think there's any better training ground than to work in the NBA. Uh, the leadership they've had in their team marketing and business operations groups. When I was there, it was started by Bernie Mullen. Then they had Scott O'Neill, so uh, incredible people. To work along those kind of executives, they give you just the most incredible uh, masters in sports, if you will. Right. Uh, and so working in the NBA was probably the most important place I worked. I was looking over and reading that you were part of the team, the group that helped move or facilitated the move from Seattle to Oklahoma City? No, uh, I was actually the group before that. I was hired by the New Orleans Hornets in okay. the summer of 2005 as senior vice president of uh, business, corporate development, business, sales, et cetera. And uh, we, my wife, the twins were infants. We bought a house in Manda, Mandeville, Louisiana in July of 2005, uh, looking to move there in September. And uh, 30 days into my job while living downtown, Hurricane Katrina hit. Yeah. So I was actually the first person on behalf of the Hornets on the ground in Oklahoma City. I see. So we re relocated the only time in history that a team has had to be relocated uh, before their season started uh, in, in that same year. And we, uh, we moved the team to Oklahoma City, was part of that negotiation. Uh, and again, I think our presence there for two years precipitated Clay Bennett's uh, opportunity because I got to work with him as a city leader. And he, obviously he bought the Sonics and moved to Oklahoma City. But uh, it was an amazing experience. It was a very difficult time, yeah. obviously, for the folks in New Orleans, Louisiana. And our hearts go out to them. But at the same time, for me professionally, it, it probably one of the most impactful and most important things that ever happened to me was I got a battlefield promotion to chief marketing officer. 
and to start up a team in a new city with 45 days before a season started was was incredible. Does Seattle get another team? I think they're going to get an well, they are. They're getting an NHL team yeah. for sure. I'm, I'm not sure the NBA goes back to Seattle. Um, I think. You know, and this is just my own teenage speculation, but I think Vancouver gets a team before really? before Seattle is. I think they'd like to go. I think they regret leaving Vancouver. Huh. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you did a, a lot of the, the, the corporate, the marketing side of it. However, you're just as interested in the athlete development. And I think, was it at Colorado Rapids you began the homegrown initiative? Well, I think the homegrowns were really something that Major League Soccer created. I think at Colorado Rapids... Being a small market team, knowing that we weren't going to spend as much money as some of the big markets on buying and acquiring some of the players, mm -hmm. it absolutely became an emphasis to try to, again, home grow or develop our own talent, right? And again, from an economic perspective, if you're looking at a major franchise, it's the best way to do it because they're in your system and they become your, your property, if you will, and you have a chance to identify and watch their pathway as they develop and, and fit them in where you need them in your, your first team. Um, so I think I give Major League Soccer credit, and uh, that's really, t to me, that's where the United Soccer, U.S. Soccer, rather, has to continue to continue to focus, which is developing our own athletes, right? That's that's going to be the pathway. That's going to be the success, much like we do in swimming and other sports. Right. But for Colorado, having a strong youth program, academy program, that was always a priority without question. Now, you spent some time, actually, in England with Derby County. Derby County, yep. That is uh, a program that's over 100 years old, one of the things I find difficult for me, what don't Americans understand about soccer in the European nations? Well, first of all, and I think that, you know, it's been interesting because I get these questions a lot because I know my background of the last decade in, yeah. in professional football, soccer, and particularly I get a lot of questions about the World Cup, and I, we actually had this over dinner last night, and I was with friends of NBC and, and Rowdy Gaines and Ted Robinson and Alex Bolovnik, one of our trustees who's Russian, and we talked about what an amazing job Russia did this summer when a lot of people thought it wasn't going to be that great. Not just because it's Russia, maybe, but also because the U.S. wasn't in it, you know, Italy wasn't there, et cetera. And yet, I think I've had more uh, excitement coming out of this World Cup that I can feel around my network of people and friends, and, and it is the world's game. And when you see what happens to a nation, i.e. a bigger community, and watch how people band together to support their home country and their nations in this global game, it's infectious. And we talked about that. And right. you can be anywhere in the world at a pub and you will see now football, if you will, soccer on TV. You'll see probably a shirt somewhere. And the one thing I used to tell people at Derby when they asked me what the difference was, was and I, and I, I kind of coined the term, uh, uh, kind of the currency of football. When you see a badge of somebody, right away you're connected. It could be any league in the world, any country in the world, but if you like soccer and I like soccer and I see your badge, I'm like, who do you support? Yeah. And it, it, it initiates a very warm conversation of, about sport, right? And I think football does that, in my opinion, better than anyone. The second part, again, this the game in Derby County, here I am in the middle of England, uh, not the biggest market. Uh, I would, I would, maybe this is like an Oklahoma City size yeah. to the America, it would be a quintessential great town, historic town. But the football club was founded in 1884, one of the first 12 original football teams in, in the UK, in England. So a wonderful history. My second year there, I had to play in the 125th anniversary. So here's an American. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was an unbelievable experience. It was great. One of the quirky things I would say that's really neat is if and you just asked me about the 49ers and the Giants, right? Well, I would meet fathers uh, you know, within the corporate world or business world in Derby that relocated there for their business. And yet they would support maybe Leeds United or Manchester United or something different. But if their kids were born in Derby, 
they almost force them to support their local club. Really? So if you're born in the city, that's your club. So that's why people, I guess maybe we do this with the Yankees, and I, I like yeah, the Red yeah. Sox, so I'll make fun of it. We all go, oh, Yankees, you know, whatever. Right, right. You can buy the brand wherever. Man United's like that. Man United gets criticized a little bit because it's so global, it's so big that you just, oh, I, I support Man U. You're probably not from Manchester. They make a joke. If you support Manchester United, you're not from Manchester. <laughs> if you support Man City, you're from Man City. Ah, okay. So it's there's a lot of really cool nuances to football, right. and the history speaks for itself. But it was a wonderful experience professionally. It was a wonderful experience for my family. Five of our six children came and lived there, went to British schools. Uh, we loved it. We have friends for life that uh, come out of Derby in England. So it was a phenomenal professional experience. That's actually one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the nature of being a fan, I guess, on two levels. First, so we do have that in America where, you know, the, the, the jersey, you know, mm-hmm. the Steelers fans, the Packers fans, that sort of thing, anywhere in the country, yep. you know, teams travel, that sort of thing. However, at the same time, it's never been so easy to root for a player. So all the LeBron Cleveland Cavalier fans are now out buying their Laker jerseys. Okay? Sure. Uh, this seems new to me. Is this, uh, was this an active step by the NBA to market their athletes in this sort of way? It's, that's, a, that's a great question. I think, I think it is part of it. And I think what we learned, because you're going to get to certain markets. So as an example, when I was with the Hornets in New Orleans, it was a tough sell. When I went to the Bobcats in Charlotte, who are now the Hornets, ironically, mm-hmm. it was a tough sell. We, we had a tough team, not a very good team. The market wasn't ready to embrace the Bobcats, if you will. So, yeah, in much, and the Clippers probably did this the best of anybody back in the days of the old sports arena. When we would go out as sales and marketing folks, I can't worry about what happens on the court, right? I'm, the, I'm in the sales and marketing department. I have zero contact with the coach, the GM, zero say. Right. But I still have a job to do every day when I go to work to sell tickets to the Charlotte Bobcats. That's my job, and I have a staff to do that. So if you can't sell your own team, absolutely looking at the celebrity star power of the NBA, I can build for you, Dan, a 10-game mini plan just around your favorite players. Or, you know, If I know you're from... You know, Pennsylvania, maybe, you know, even though you're from Pittsburgh, maybe you like the Sixers, I'll find some Eastern Conference teams for you. We have to cater to the needs. Yeah. But it's still our job as salespeople to drive revenue for our ownership, to drive revenue for the uh, for the club and the franchise. So we'd have to be clever about it. So, again, I used to always say we need to build a, a plan for every fan, right? I'd rather sell you the 41-game season right. ticket strip, but if you can't make that, it's my job to walk you down the ladder to the next best product. And that product may be because you moved to Charlotte to work in banking. Where are you from? And get to know you better and your family and help you find a way to enjoy the product that I can offer to you while you live in my market. So it's been there for quite a while. This is 25 years old, and that's why the NBA I still think is the cutting edge when it comes to sales and marketing and professional sports. But yeah, that's part of it. I think going to England, it's no questions about fandom and it's about where you're from. And they would, you, know, you can like your team and those star players when they're playing for your country, because mm-hmm. that's basically your all-star team now. You can like Harry Kane, even though you're an Arsenal supporter. Right. You hate Harry Kane because he's a Spurs uh, player, but when he's on, when he's wearing the three lions, all is lo- all is all about the country, and I think that's also part of the romance to the World Cup. What on the on the kind of the counter side, if you will, uh, and it was very. People would ask me in England, well, what's what's the nearest sport to our football here in England that you have in the U.S.? What's it like? Is it the NFL? And I'd say no, it's college football. Yeah, because college football will spend the whole day. We'll go out to campus. I went to school there. I have a different family relationship Tribal. there tribal it's the same thing in my family my grandfather's timothy senior my dad timothy jr went to notre dame huge notre dame family can't wait to go to south bend right it's it's we're, we're evangelists of the irish yes. you know we want to do that so you you're born and 
that was the closest to English Premier League football that I found, and that's that's part of that fan. And I think that's why the pros are about the stars and the people. I think college sports are more about the team, the school, and the spirit. Okay. Um, you were at the NBA during, I think, a, a unique time because it was not always the most popular sport in America. It, or people would argue it isn't right now. It, you had to watch playoff games on tape delay. You maybe got to see three or four games a week. Now, I would argue that after soccer, it is the second most popular international sport. How did that change come about? I think that, you know, it's interesting. You know, I was fortunate that right when I got to the Kings in 2000, really a lot of the regional cable uh, networks realized that they needed to spend the money to get this product out there, right? Mm. They, they, and I think that, you know, sometimes you want to, like, protect yourselves. And there used to be the old mentality that, well, maybe we don't want to show it live because we want to sell the tickets, right? At some point you have to realize that people are going to find a way to consume your product no matter what. Fast forward to today, that's why the third the third screen, your phone, your laptop, your iPad, and you're seeing all the cord cutters, the sports teams have evolved. They thought, oh no, I'm gonna lose my cable rights deal because less viewers are gonna watch right. it. No, it's, it's more is more, more is more. It's better for the brand, it's better for the players, it's better for the sport, it's better for revenue. So it's hard sometimes because you, you, in your mind, think, no, I, I wanna be careful because I want you to come see it live. Yeah. We still have, I, I don't think that'll ever go away because if you're truly a fan, the in-stadium, in-arena uh, you experience is always going to be the best. Having said that, I have to make sure that my product is available to everybody at all times. Right. And even, I think that even goes when you look at, remember the subscriptions, right? When we first started doing some of this, it was always subscription tied, right, yes. to some of the content. Now it's free. It's like going to the airport. They used to charge us for Boingo to get on wireless. They realized, yep. nope, it should just be free. That, that's going to continue to evolve in technology, right? And so you have to have it to all people at all times. So I think that's why it's become so popular. And I think the NBA is so consumable with that star power. They've done a good job with shoulder programming, access to the stars, access to the players. They're building their own brands on social media. So I think it's a more is more type of opportunity. Even their approach, like compared to the NFL, the day after a big NBA game, there's 10, 12, 15 different websites putting out unique versions of the video from the night before. If you're at the game and you put it up, the NFL, they'll send you that access denied, please take this down. It's just a completely different way of getting their product out there. Yeah, and they can. I mean, like I think that's part of some of the criticism is that you know they're the monopoly of, of professional sports to some degree, right? They, have, they get the biggest checks, the biggest sponsors, the biggest people, so I think there's some criticism. Having said that, until someone knocks them off, you know, the NFL is still going to be the biggest uh, revenue generator in professional sports in our country. So that's fine. To me, that just provides other opportunity for all of us in other sports to be more accessible, uh, to make our products more accessible, to be on the cutting edge, and to be more fan-friendly. So I just think it provides opportunities for others. So you spent a, half your life in professional sports. You've seen the sausage made. Do you still get to be a fan? Do you still get to go out and cheer? Do you have teams that you love? Or have you been jaded? No, I, I do. I, I'd say that, to be fair, coming to swimming has probably allowed me to be more of a fan than ever because yeah. uh, I'm so passionate about this sport. I am a swimmer, obviously. And because I have zero skin in the game, if you will, like <laughs> this is, you know, until we get to the Olympics or Pan Packs and Team USA is there, I have a lot less stress. Whereas my family on Sunday mornings, if we lost the night before with the Rapids, 
I, you know, I was a wreck, right? Because I was yeah. I was so into it. Uh, so no, I love I love sports. I love enjoying them. We reform in our household. We all, you know, I let my boys pick different teams, and it's fun. And they're not the biggest athletes or sports fans like I was as a kid because they have so many other distractions, like we talked about previously with video games and different mechanisms, uh, art, music, things. But I love when they pick out their jerseys and want to talk, and it's it's been fun. So it's still it's still a fun family thing to talk about and do. The Rapids was stressful, but you were rarely successful there. We, we, we had we had some collective success. Um, I think more on the business side. I think a lot of fans would argue we didn't do as much as we'd like to have done on the pitch, and I think that's fair. Uh, but we had a couple of really good seasons while we were there. I think we built a terrific infrastructure. I think we uh, we fixed the business. We saved the business to some degree. Our, our academy, our youth development continued to grow, our PDL side. So unfortunately, as a fan, you want, you want wins on Saturday yes. night, which I get. Um, so that's always hard to measure. But, you know, we grew the business, uh, you know, three, almost fourfold in, in six years. And I think, I think the good news is I think, you know, I left it better off than when I got it. And that's all you can ever do in these jobs. And I'm really proud of my staff that's still there. And I think what they're going to do is, is take it to the next level. And I'm excited about that. And I'll always be a fan of the Rapids. Okay. Well, I, as a Pirates fan, the thing I hate hearing the most is how successfully they're doing financially. Yeah, and the Rapids weren't successful financially necessarily from because they're still losing millions and millions of dollars. But building the fan base, growing the revenues, just gave them a position so we could sign Tim Howard, yep. right? We could start we could start to show that we're ready to reinvest whatever we do increase uh, of those losses back into the products, back into the stadium, back into those things. And that, that's what I'm more proud of than because right. we certainly weren't making any money. <laughs> All right. Well, let me – so the U.S. is the hub of international swimming. All right, um, our top stars are international stars. We hold most of the world records. We have won most of the medals. Some of the greatest international talent comes to the United States to train or to go to college. So it, the argument can be made that you know international swimming, while it might be regulated elsewhere in the world, the hub of it is in the United States. So is an opportunity exists for USA Swimming or for swimming in general uh, to kind of, I'm never going to say, take the place of uh, European football or basketball, but do we have a place in the, in the, in the hierarchy of international swimming with our, with our brand and our product? I think that's a great question. I think that, you know, sadly, I, you know, I haven't been able to spend as much time on our commercial opportunities, our brand building. Uh, over my first 12 months because clearly we've been working really hard to ensure that we're working on protecting our athletes and, and safe sport is, is a huge priority. And listen, uh, you know, I had to testify in front of Congress, never thought I would do that. But uh, I was, I was, I, it, it, was, it was a chance for me to draw a line. And so that's been important. So now getting back to really what we want to do is, is again, build the brand, build the, you know, build, continue to build the reputation of the leading sports franchise in the Olympic movement, in my, in my opinion, like you just described. I think there's a place for us. I, you know, I think that as we have more swimmers wanting to stay on, be professional, help us achieve at the international level and medals, I think that we have a unique opportunity to start to build this professional experience. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of work to do, and I think we've had a lot of face-to-face -face meetings with some of our best athletes in Colorado Springs. We are listening to their thoughts on ways that we can do it because I said this at a foundation meeting yesterday, it's a partnership. We need to work hand-in-hand -hand with our our individual star athletes to make the, make this successful and how can we make this uh, a better product for fans to follow and engage and participate. Um, so it's a challenge and I think that there's a lot out there, there's a lot of noise out there in terms of other sports, other opportunities. 
Uh, I'm super proud of the Flex program that we're about to launch, and if, if, if people have seen that creative, I love that we're taking a leadership position in sports to tell kids, play as much as you can, play anything you'd like to play, and it's swimming, well, we're always here for you, we hope you'll keep doing it, uh, or maybe you mature later, we'll keep doing it. I think that, you know, as we just said, talked about uh, broadcast opportunities, we talked about content distribution, if you will, more is more. You know, USA Swimming Productions is new. It's you know, yeah. a little over a year old. They're working hard. Your podcasts, you know, the, these are the kind of things we need to be doing. If we're, we, No one's going to tell our story better than we are. Mm-hmm. So we have to be committed to professionally uh, getting, the, getting our content out and distributing our content to those that are interested, not just to our great fans and our 400,000 members that want it and see it and deserve it, but also to try to capture a little share of, share of that opportunity in other markets, right? And so that's something we're going to do. Uh, I, the head of Singapore Swimming flew here just to meet with me yesterday uh, to talk about how popular we are in that sector of the world and, the, and those and some of those Asian countries and how they would love to find yeah. ways to partner with us and get our badge. He goes, USA Swimming is the second most popular thing they have in Singapore other than their so- other than soccer. Really? Yeah, and he said that to me yesterday. So, I mean, what what an opportunity! So, yeah. so to have those kind of meetings, I'm excited about. I want to have more of those. I want our domestic pro series to get better and better and more engaging. Uh, and I want the meet like today. That, you know, we want to trialize our domestic uh, events. And, I, and I, as I, if you've heard, I tell my staff, you know, what are our home games? Yeah. You know, so the Tier Pro Series, Phillips 66 Nationals, Speedo Junior Nationals. What can we do to make them more professional, more engaging, more interesting? And for those that have attended, we've sold out every night. In fact, we're going to open up a whole bunch of new seats tonight. Are you? We, we just brainstormed today a way That's to get great. more fans in. We've been turning away fans every night at finals. That's fantastic. You've seen our new Speedo VIP deck that was built for our partners, our sponsors, uh, and for Speedo and their clientele. I think the athletes, the comments, they see the professional that we've invested this week into Irvine. That's the new standard, Mm -hmm. right? How do we raise the bar? And it takes money, and we're investing that money. It takes people. We have great talent that are executing it. Our AquaZone, our St. Archer Craft Beer uh, Garden, the retail sections. Uh, festival, you know, festivals now are taking a huge share of the sports entertainment uh, dollar out there. So, uh, if we can make this a festival for mm-hmm. not just swim fans, but other Orange County people that love outdoors, that love the Olympic sport movement, this is a, this is our chance to oh, capture. Hey, there's those. a swim meet over yeah. there, but there's this over here. Yeah, but God, that doesn't look like a swim meet. Wow, there's two thousand people there. Hey, Kobe Bryant's there. Yeah. Look at the beer guy. I mean, yeah. So those are the ideas that we want to continue to push the envelope on. And I think if we can continue to do that in the most professional way possible. Maybe they'll start to see us as less amateur, grassroots, mm-hmm. and in the right places they'll see us as professional, and we'll take the money that we can earn and the opportunities and reinvest that in our grassroots to continue to build the base, which is still a key part of our mission. Your executive bona fides are, are present, and I can see the enthusiasm when we talk about this sort of thing, but you did coach, and you are training for an open water 5K. Uh, you, Still coach Special Olympics, or you did that for? Yeah, uh, I, I did it for uh, a year just before I joined. It was a little bit north of where I live in Denver, so yep. it's become a little tough to do. I still support them, right? And we're working with them on some uh, camps down at the OTC, but I don't coach with them anymore. Okay, but it's it's obvious to me that you have a special place for the coaches and the athletes. Absolutely. Um, so, you mentioned the Safe Sport and some of the other initiatives that were really behind. What else do we have on the horizon for the athletes? Anything you want to share? I think most importantly, it's, it's trying to give them a, a louder forum and more access to our management team, to our leadership teams, to our groups, so that they have a true voice in what we're doing and they have a seat at the table. Uh, it's been fun to host these kind of lunches when the, when the guys and gals have been training at the OTC. 
I bought them lunch. We sit in the Dirks room and, and we throw out ideas and it's been great. I mean, these are smart, intelligent, world-class athletes mm -hmm. uh, that have great ideas and we need to listen to those ideas and embrace some of them. At the same time, it gives us a chance to educate them when they have questions about things and how we do things. So I think we want to continue to build that trust, build that bond, but I think getting them a seat at the table will help us from the board level to the foundation level to our staff level. Uh, and ultimately for those professionals, but also the professionals that are mentors to the younger swimmers. It's a process, right? And so we need to have them part of this process. You mentioned the VIP deck, the idea of like the festival type atmosphere. Uh, we already have a couple properties, uh, the Pro Swim Series, the Tier Pro Swim Series, the Phillips 56 Nationals. What else are we, are we looking at anything specific? Is it right now a general idea that we want to professionalize these or do we have some some hard uh, I guess plans on the table no I, I again I think we we started with this really this was my first you know we, we did a couple really subtle things you know kind of you know on the fly if you will at some of the tier pro series and tier is really excited about investing more you know we've raised you know we raised the uh, the prize money this year we doubled it we're gonna raise it again next year to World Cup standard um, for our pro athletes uh, we're gonna work with tier uh, the other major thing we did is we put it on RFP. We're going to change the way we uh, we bring our tier pro series around the country. You know, you know, we had a lot of questions about attendance in some of the markets, and they're great aquatic facilities run by terrifically successful people. But we were paying these markets to host our meets. We've changed that. We want them to pay us. It's not a it's not a, a massive amount. And in fact, whatever we get paid, we'll reinvest in the professionalism of the meet. But I think it was important to get skin in the game, mm -hmm. and and they own all the ticket sales. Um, so we're going to split ticket sales going forward so that, again, we're working together to make sure the environment is, is sold out, that it's exciting, that we're exposing our product and our athletes to larger audiences. We're going to meet with the sports convention uh, visitors, uh, folks, and markets. We're bringing NBC to your city. Yeah. That's of great value. And right now it's undervalued the way we have this built. So I know that some of the markets weren't really keen on me changing this up, but I think it'll have a tremendous – it'll help us be more successful. And I think they'll see as we work harder together – as partners in these markets, not only will it be a better product, it'll be better for the town, but the market and the host clubs. I really believe that to be true. I've, I've done this for a long time, and I really trust this will be the right method. So I think that's exciting, and we've had a ton of new cities come in that are excited with new aquatic centers. We've had markets call. We have markets coming to visit, visit us at this meet right. to talk about opportunities. And we're talking big markets and mid-sized markets. Right. And listen, look what Omaha's done for the trials. Yeah. So if all of a sudden Des Moines wants to host us, then yes, if they can do the things that we're asking them to do and we can work as great partners, what a great market for us to go visit and a new pool. So there's a lot of things that are coming down the pike. But, we're, but right now, from now, at least through Tokyo, I told everybody, no idea is a bad idea. Let's think about how we're doing things. Uh, it's no criticism to how they've been done for years and years, but now's a chance to change. And really because my vision is to build a really, really unique, successful, collaborative and integrated business plan from now to LA 2028 mm -hmm. and we need to be thinking to, to do things differently and we're willing to take risks to do different sure. things so that's kind of the plan okay um, just a, a little bit of a change so I have kids that are in youth sports and a lot of the complaints I hear about youth sports are interesting they talk about the influence of the coaches in AAU basketball uh, how they have maybe an oversized influence with the kids and where they go to college and even where they might play high school. Uh, pay to play travel baseball teams where, you know, you might grow up in the community, but you, you then pay to go play somewhere else. The disappearance of the volunteer coach at 
you know, a certain level of the program. Uh, isn't this the USA Swimming Club model for 50 years? That it's a professional organization with a, a coach that's paid to coach the team and responsible to a board and to a community. Are, do we have a, an advantage? Is everybody just catching up or are they redefining the model? I think that's a great question. I think that, again, being part of so many sports, and especially in the soccer, seeing the difference of, you know, again, from volunteer and rec to getting to the academies and how serious the academies are and how Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer are changing the pay-to-play model. If you're now uh, invited to be part of an academy, it's zero cost to the parents. Mm. That's thousands and thousands of dollars savings. Yep. At the same time, it makes it even more competitive, which is asking kids to be more specialized and it's putting yep. more pressure at a younger age. I struggle with that, and which is why I'm so excited about, like we talked about, our Flex campaign. And, and again, the Wall Street Journal had a great article on us a couple of weeks ago and, and, and really commending us as a, as a major entity, yes. as, a, as a national governing body, to say, kids, it's okay. Play whatever you like. We're still here, I think, is the right thing. So I think U.S. Swimming has got it right. Now, clearly, again, to go back to a tough topic, the to safe sport, we have to be even more vigilant. Right an education and screenings to make sure that it is the right coaches that are doing these things and that's something that on my watch we're going to make sure that happens and their athletes are protected and in a safe place but yeah when we get it right it's it's a great we are a great sport we have great models we have incredible volunteers i mean just look at the volunteers that are running this week it's amazing so i tip my hat to the coaches the volunteers the boards because i do think we have it right and i think that there's more out there i think that the other thing I'd really like to see us do from a leadership position is also find a way to lead whatever and lead or lend whatever expertise uh, that we can or support to the high school swimming, obviously to the NC2As, which is a very special place. It's our it's our unique you know uh, proposition compared to the world our our NC2A programs to rec swimming. I was a rec summer swimmer. My kids are rec summer swimmers. Mm-hmm. We have zero influence out there right now. Right. And as much as I'd love to, I don't want them to think that we're just there to try to strong arm them to recruiting their athletes to our clubs, but we should be thinking about servant leadership. How do we give back to these places? So I think those combinations make us really uniquely uh, you know, successful, and I'm looking forward to spending more time in invest- investing in those areas of our sport. All right. Well, Tim, I hope we have a chance to sit down again sometime and dive deeper into some of these topics. I have one last question for you. Um, if you were driving over here in the morning, what would you be listening to in your car? Uh, I listen to alternative music. So I'm on Alternative Nation uh, on uh, Sirius Radio. Uh, and I flip, yep, uh, 36, 36. And, I, and then I, to, I toggle to 33, yeah. which is, of course, a first wave. So I go back and forth to old alternative to new alternative. So, and because, as you know, I commute from Denver to Colorado yeah. Springs, that's, that's, that's what I listen to the whole way in my commute. That's phenomenal. I didn't know that. Yep. All right. Thanks for your time. Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Kick Set with USA Swimming. Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add kickset to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.